This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for joining me for another week. If you're new, I hope you hear a voice here of an American Muslim who believes in ownership, who believes in contrition, that we as Muslims have a lot of work to do. We also have a lot of responsibility for living in the land of freedom, living living in the lap of liberty where we have the opportunity to fix the ideas that they just cannot fix across the Middle East. And for too many, too many have been silent, not just condemning terrorism, but not really working to repair, reform the ideas that need to be corrected in the Muslim consciousness. There's been a closing, as Robert Riley has said, the closing of the Muslim mind. A lot to talk about this week as uh, the president started a trip in Saudi Arabia. He had a lot of criticism, a lot of praise, and uh, I'd like to dive into that with you. We uh, uh, have a lot to cover. Uh, Erdogan uh, was uh, in the United States and brought with him his thugs who decided to uh, do a little violence on the streets of America, making us feel uh, a little bit of understanding of what it is to live in Turkey nowadays. And a lot more to discuss on Reform This. So thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening in. And why don't we just dive right in. You know, the Washington Post reported this week that Trump was going to unveil, going to unveil an Arab NATO, an Arab NATO. Now, listen, I get it. I know what the president's trying to do. He had talked about, and and listen, there were those people who were critical of the fact that the president decided to start in Saudi Arabia, saying that he should have begun his um, he should have begun his trip with an ally, saying why didn't he go to Canada, Mexico? London, Germany. But I have to tell you, the president ran on a national security platform. He ran that he was going to be the president to actually finish off ISIS. So why not start at the belly of the beast? And I I don't have any problem with him starting in Saudi Arabia. Now, I have my skepticism 
because President Trump ran domestically as an agitator, domestically as a disruptor, domestically as a candidate who was against the establishment. All things that so many people on the conservative and some of the liberals that ended up voting for him because they didn't want the establishment Clinton candidate were for. So the question when he goes abroad is will he be a disruptor? Will he be against the establishment abroad in Saudi Arabia, in Pakistan, and across the Middle East? I don't know. Most signs show that he is singularly focused on ISIS. He is singularly focused on destroying that whack-a-mole that created a caliphate. And that's a good thing in the short term. But in the long term, in a couple of years, we're going to see the uh, regeneration of another radical Islamic organization. Another radical Islamist movement which will rear its head either with the Brotherhood radicalizing even further in Egypt or with the Wahhabis creating other movements in Saudi Arabia or Jamaat Islamiyya in Pakistan, whatever it may be. But the reality is that we can no longer afford, after having law, and I'll listen, I, I get the fact that President Trump in just a few short months is trying to pick up the pieces of the problems that President Obama gave him. And he's dispatched Jared Kushner and others to meet with Saudi Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS as he's affectionately called. The Saudi leadership was beginning to become disillusioned with America because the Obama administration had developed a, a deep condition of Khomeinophilia, Iranophilia, where they were doing anything possible to create some kind of deal which only jeopardized national security, turned a blind eye to genocides in Syria, to the creation of ISIS, to an abandonment of America's long-standing allies in the Middle East, which were Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the Gulf states. Now, I've never liked that term, allies, because we don't share any values with those Arab countries. We only shared enemies. And that whole division fell along the Sunni-Shia divide, where in the Cold War, the Soviets in the 20th century fell with the Khomeinists, and then with Assad. So, the reality is, is now, at least, you have to give President Trump some credit that he's beginning to balance that out that the long lopsided equation has created a, a chaotic Darwinian process in which the Saudis were fueling as much as possible the radicalization of every group in Syria. They were unhinged to which they didn't care what they were doing as long as they were fueling animus 
and the enemies against Assad, Iran, and Russia. As the Americans, Obama administration sat hibernating from the back, back of the bus. We weren't even leading from behind. We were asleep, asleep from behind. So now, General McManus, I'm sorry, General McMaster is talking about an Arab NATO. <laughs> I posted this week, uh, is that the Nedged Arab Tyrants Organization? The Nedged being that peninsula in the Saudi Arabia, which was originally where the Prophet Muhammad and Islam started and now has been decimated by tyrannies of the Saudis, the House of Saud, of the Egyptian, Syrian, Jordanian, and Emiratis, autocracies and monarchies, and ultimately theocratic legal Sharia states, if you will. Now, in the short term, I get it. We need a coalition. Now, I like President Bush's term for it better, in which Bush 41 called the coalition that he got to get Saddam out of Kuwait the coalition of the willing. That makes more sense. These are willing dictators that wanted to work with democracies of the world to honor Kuwait's borders. Push back a tyrant, a Ba'athist tyrant of Saddam Hussein. Unfortunately, and actually rationally, we stopped short of ousting Saddam in 1991 because that wasn't, in the early 90s I should say, that wasn't our mandate. Our mandate was to regain Kuwaiti independence. But that wasn't called an Arab NATO. NATO's brand is democracy. I get it that we need to have an alliance of those willing to destroy ISIS and work to prevent its regional exploitation of anarchy and vacuums that have been created. That's fine. But to call it an Arab NATO is to devalue our values and to turn a blind eye to the values that they have there, which are theocratic, misogynistic, anti-freedom, and anti-liberal. When we come back, I want to talk about the Twitter forum. General McMaster talked about the fact that he was going to have President Trump lead a Twitter forum because globally he is known to be that candidate that used Twitter to get his message out. What should that Twitter form be? This is Zudi Jastrin. I'll be right back on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. Reaching the fault lines of today. The Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. 
solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you for joining me this week. We're talking about President Trump's first visit abroad. And as you can tell, I didn't talk about all the noise happening domestically. You know, it's it's saddening. I'm not even going to weigh in on all that. Uh, most of it is conjecture about what may have been said, what may have not been said. Uh, terms being thrown around like impeachment and obstruction of justice. And set aside the fact that that's not even typically the topic we talk about. But the, the issue is, is it's taking the oxygen out of the room. It's taking the oxygen out of what we should be addressing as a country. And, you know, I'm glad that some have said, oh, the president, NBC was saying the president should abandon this trip and wait until it's peaceful and more organized. I'm sorry. We're already way behind in what he should be doing globally. The court system have bogged down a process by which we can allow this administration to vet I think in a better way, refugees, I hope it's not going to be a ban. I hope it's just a pause. We've talked about it on previous episodes. Take a listen to those if you haven't. But we're already delaying. The numbers have gone down. And if we're going to begin to have that pause, the pause was supposed to be a time in which we begin to discuss as a nation and operationalize into the State Department, into immigration, ICE, and others, what we do to vet against Islamist theocratic ideologies. And with the distractions happening in Washington and New York, where are we going to have the oxygen to do that? So hats off, you know, Trump administration moving forward with plans for the trip they had. This stuff cannot wait it's like uh, if you're having problems with your behavior at home, you still got to deal with the neighbors, with your work, with other things. So uh, listen, we got to move on. Business moves forward. The president's primary job is as commander in chief, national security. And I'm glad to see him getting that done this week. Now, The concept of an Arab NATO, it's well-founded, been bandied about for years, as the Washington Post says, and has always had strong Saudi support. You see it sort of abandoning from the, I think it's basically does business as the Arab League, but obviously now with what's happening with uh, uh, the Khomeini's favorite Arab tyrant, uh, Assad, parts of the Arab League are not as functional i.e. Libya, i.e. Yemen. So it needs to be rebranded to the functional tyrannies, if you will. Functional dictatorships like LCC and some of the Gulf states. And the Saudis always, you know, they're now the hub 
for the Organization of Islamic Cooperation. So they're always handed this platform of being the tribal leaders of the Muslim Mafia, the Islamist Organization of Islamic Cooperation. And call me skeptical, but uh, Petro-Islam has bought them a lot of tribal coupons. Ask the Saudi citizens silently, anonymously, if they like that government to have the global platform. It does, because it enshrines them to continue tyrannical control with 10th century law. Ask the women's groups. And you know, this was my beef with our national security advisor's recommendation that the president have a Twitter form. When I went to Saudi Arabia twice with the U.S. Commission on Religious Freedom, they had us meet with women's groups, social media groups. Six out of seven of the women we met with were wearing the niqab, claiming to have all the freedom to research and speak and get educated. And yet we couldn't even identify their faces other than trying to, to attempt at voice recognition. And these were the so-called women leaders that the Saudi misogynists pushed in front of us. You talk to Saudi women's groups underground behind the scenes and they're horrified by the regime that calls rape victims the criminals because they were alone with a man that doesn't forget you know they kept saying forget about letting us drive we want to work we want to have property rights we want to have equal votes in court don't be deceived by them handing a council position as the Obama administration said oh they've made a lot of progress we had meetings with the ambassador the US ambassador to Saudi Arabia and I can tell you that a revolving door with the defense industries 12 digit sales of jets and bombs and others provides a political revolving door for the ambassadors to that country whether it be Republican or Democrat that then become apologists in a statist kind of way for the Saudis and they say, oh, they're putting women on councils. Transformation happens slowly. If it goes too fast, the Wahhabis will take over. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the, the Wahhabis are running the place already. And they might know how to present it in a, we are the friends of your regional security interests, so therefore work with us because we know how to tame the bulldogs the pit bulls of the Wahhabi Al-Qaeda types. And the reality is, is that these guys use religion as a tool. The Arab tyrant manual I've talked to you about before is all about fueling radical Islam to legitimize military dictatorship, and there's no one better at that than the Saudis. While they talk about being anti-ISIS, their schools are filled with textbooks that call the Jews the enemy of man, that call... Christians, polytheists who will go to heaven because they believe in the Trinity. 
that call moderate Muslims that believe in any other translation of the Quran other than their Muhammad Khan Wahhabi translation to be heretics or apostates. They take those books from them so that you can't have alternative translations. So when the president is going to have a Twitter forum, that forum should, if you really believe in Twitter being a medium to disrupt the establishment, a medium to tell the media they are fake news. President Trump, the founding fathers of fake news, is Arab news of the Saudi government's propaganda, their name of their newspaper, is Al Arabiya television station of the Saudi's Western propaganda arm. And every other institute of interfaith cooperation, such as what the Saudis have funded with the Parliament of World Religion and other window-dressing facades of the reality that inside Saudi Arabia is a draconian dungeon of inhumanity and destruction of human rights in which gays, liberals, free thinkers, capitalists, Anyone who shares our values doesn't have the right to tweet or say anything contradictory to the regime. It's not just about Wahhabis. Yes, the Saudis have created this eventuality in which if they left tomorrow, Saudi would become even more radicalized. But how do you break that cycle? You break it by a Trump doctrine that isn't only against ISIS, but is for liberty and freedom. A Trump doctrine that says that we will work with our allies in the prisons, in the ground, future civil rights activists who share our values. As Natan Sharansky talked about when he spoke so glowingly of Reagan, when Reagan articulated his name and the name of other Soviet dissidents, they knew that the Soviet's days were numbered. Yes, we need to balance out the evil of the Khomeinis, and one way to do it is to create another enemy. But we saw in the Iran-Iraq war that a million people died, and 30 years later we have nothing but even worse destruction happening in Syria and elsewhere. So this creation of another beast to destroy the other beast that we hate is not a policy. It is un-American. And we need to break that cycle. In the short term, yes, destroy ISIS. In the long term, tell the Saudis that they have one year in which to begin to liberalize their education. I think some of the Gulf states are beginning to get it, the Emirates being one of them. But they're a small little country with hardly any military dependent upon American support, but also not irritating the Iranians and the Saudis at the same time. So we can't expect them to reform too quickly. But these changes need to happen by America telegraphing that we're with the people. We're with universal human rights. That's what the president's Twitter forum should have been about. That's what the messaging should be about. Not only us being against the symptoms of radicalization like ISIS and wanting to destroy it, but what are we for? This is Udi Jasser on Reform This. Breaching the fault lines of today. This is Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser.
on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. And no, they're not making any more of them. Basquiat died of a drug overdose when he was just 27 in 1988. It's not a small painting, though. It's 72 and a half inches by... 68 inches. It's a pretty big size. You gotta have a big wall. So, you know, I'm guessing if you have $110 million to spend on one painting, you've got a decent sized wall or two somewhere in your house. Wow. Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. You know, in this segment uh, today, I want to do a little bit of a throwback. Throwback to 2011, March 10th, 2011. What was I doing? Well, I was testifying... For the first time, now I've since testified eight times, but that was the first time I had testified to Congress. And this was, well, at the time, what was felt to be one of the most controversial hearings since the McCarthy hearings. It was about Muslim radicalization in America. There were four panelists, three Republican ones and one Democratic witness. It was a Republican-chaired Committee on Homeland Security for the House chaired by Congressman Peter King from New York. And the three of us that testified for the conservatives or the Republicans were Muslims. And they did the one small error, and I thought it was actually made it very interesting, but got a lot of attention to what we were doing, was that they released the witness list back in January for testimony that was going to happen in March. So we had two months of media attention from and you know i have to say and still to this day it was one of the few times left-leaning media actually paid attention to what we were doing we had time on npr pbs cbs abc and we talked about the need for muslims to focus on radicalization the need for us to look at root causes I talked about how our country was being ripped apart by one side that blindly felt that every Muslim is peaceful and terrorists are just criminals, and the other side, in its extreme, said every Muslim is either a terrorist or one in waiting. And I said how 98% of America was in the middle and confused because we couldn't have a functional conversation about it. Obviously, fast forward six years and we're not doing much better. My point of this throwback is this week it was announced that L.A. County Sheriff Lee Baca was sentenced to three years in prison on jail to be imprisoned and will be going to jail for his corruption scandal. Who's Sheriff Baca? Well, He was that Democratic witness in March 2011. He was the witness that was put forth as that great witness who could testify, testify to the harm of the American government targeting a theopolitical ideology. Now, he called it just Islam. He called it just Muslims, not Islamists. 
and he wanted to label the left as I'm sorry, the right as all wanting to attack and smear all Muslims. Well, why did Sheriff Baca now finally, karmically, end up going to prison? This, by the way, he was a nice guy. He came over to me after the hearings and said, Dr. Jasser, we've not met, but I actually agreed with a lot of your testimony and I hope we can work together. And I'm like, well, sir, why are you working with the Council on American Islamic Relations and the Muslim Public Affairs Council and groups that are apologists for political Islam and Islamic collectivism that will do anything to say that we are victims and don't take any or hardly any noticeable ownership for the reforms that need to happen to begin this global movement to fix the cancer? He said, well, I, I don't know. That's not my, that's not my call. I said, well, you're the only witness that could have made that statement for the Democrats. And unfortunately, you've been facilitating and giving platforms in tribal ways to organizations in Los Angeles that have been preventing the federal government from doing its work. They won't even work with the benign neutered programs of countering violent extremism, as I testified those CVE programs are blind disasters because they don't counter violent Islamism. They want to, remember we heard in this hearing the tears and the bawling of Congressman Ellison who said his country had been destroyed, that it was falling apart and being ripped apart by hate and Islamophobia and xenophobia as he called it. And Sheriff Baca, you were feeding that. Well, what did Sheriff Baca go to jail for now? Working against the federal government. Deciding that it was his choice to make to obstruct justice as the FBI's informants and others turned him in for circumventing. Circumventing and working against the honest crime, anti-crime work of the FBI and the federal government. He was the ninth person to be convicted and now sent to prison as part of what the U.S. Assistant Attorney Brandon Fox convinced several juries was a cunning conspiracy to interfere with FBI agents as they worked to gather evidence for a grand jury investigation into the allegations of widespread abuse by deputies working in county jails run by the Sheriff's Department, as written by Joel Rubin of the LA Times. It'll be interesting if he tries to counter-radicalize many of the Muslim gangs that are radicalized in his prisons. Where will he serve? It just couldn't help but reflect back that here's a guy. And oh, just read the LA papers this week. Oh, a good guy. We didn't realize he was, this was such a travesty. But he just let hubris get to him. He was worked with such interfaith groups and others. When are 
bleeding heart's going to realize that it's not that far from the tree that an apple falls when it feels that collectivist interests based on racial identity, faith identity, and do-gooderness or whatever you want to call it, when it takes precedence over core universal principles that are then ignored, that that is being done for politics and not for principle. And people that do things for politics and not principle usually have hubris, and it will not be surprising when they end up in jail. We know many of them that are panderers, that say things that they think people want to hear. The dishonesty can be as superficial as pandering to as deep as obstruction of justice. This is not a surprise. So, look again when you hear the politicians, the government uh, uh, agents of our national security, when they complain about those who prevent them from doing their job, and those who complain about those who want to target specific racial groups, like Black Lives Matters and others that ignore what the police are trying to do, maybe actually they're just corrupt and they don't want an honest exposure and transparency of what's actually happening nobody's talking about illegal wiretapping giving up any civil rights but if they're in the public and the mosques and the mosques are public places we shouldn't be afraid to i tape sermons when i go in there it's not a private event anyone can come in i'm not saying the government should tape it but we shouldn't be embarrassed or afraid or crying uncle remember the cops on the beat when they get to know the neighbor stores the 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 groups walking up and down the streets when they get to know their personalities and who they are that's not surveillance that's getting to know your neighborhood if we do it on a bigger scale how is that any different so Sheriff Baca, good riddance. Enjoy your time in prison. Care, MPAC, and other groups that felt that this guy was their ally. Birds of a feather. Birds of a feather. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. To reform this with Dr. Zudi Jasser, the Blaze Radio Network. 
This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to Reform This. And this is our last segment this week. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your faith, your trust, your friendship. If you're Muslim, join us reformers. Get the message out. Tell them to tweet this, share it, uh, put it on Facebook. Get our colleagues to own up to the responsibility to reform our faith, reform our ideas, get the Muslim consciousness into the 21st century. If you're not Muslim, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. We need your help. We need the world to understand that Islam may not be reformed yet, may have a lot of work to do. We may be on the one-yard line trying to get to that other end zone, but we acknowledge that within the 1,430-plus-year history, there are good elements that we need to save, and there are bad theocratic elements that need to be reformed or thrown into the dustbin of history. And we need your help, especially those in the free world who've done this, who've reformed their faith, who've come to terms with modernity, rendered under Caesar what is Caesar's, and under God's what is God's. In our last segment this week, I want to close the little discussion that we had last week, in which I started talking to you at the end also last time about, was Muhammad, the Prophet Muhammad, an Islamist? I got a lot of feedback about that. Mostly good, but some Muslims who were very upset with me because they felt that there was no right answer to that. If you say he was, then everybody's going to think he was a terrorist. If you say he wasn't, then they're going to say you're lying. And I defined Islamist for you. Not violent Islamist, not militant Islamist but just Islamist. He believed in Islamic State. He was the head of it. And I think the deeper question, you can, I don't want to re redo the conversation that we had last week, but the deeper question for Muslims is about Salafism. Salaf. The friends of the Prophet. The Salafis often will say they are not Islamists. They reject political Islam. They don't want theological leaders in government. But there's even a Salafi party. We saw them in Libya, in Tunisia, and in Egypt. And they'll say the difference between the Salafis and the Islamists are the Islamists use religion to get political power, and the Salafis use politics to get religious power. So the Salafis are about returning everything to the way it was in the 7th century, whatever way they think that was. And they use often corrupted, sometimes legitimate, hadith, discussions, narrations of the Prophet Muhammad to, the, to legitimize the authenticity of their narrative of what should and should not be Islamic. And then there's these modernists that I call like Tariq Ramadan, Yasser Qadi, these 21st century Salafis who are neo-Salafists, who take what they carve into the sculpture of what they feel is the Prophet Muhammad's example, and then they fray off the edges and remove them and say that just doesn't apply. We will use modern day technology 
to do exactly what the prophet did, but balance it with modern thought. A good example is the moon sighting. We're about to come to our holiest month of Ramadan. There's always a debate about what day it starts, so rather than technologically using what can be a fully verified calendar, we use technology. And then the neo-Salafists say, well, because the Qur'an says you must see the moon in order to declare the first day of Ramadan, they do both. They calculate it in a modern way, and then they verify it they verify it with the eyesight maintaining authenticity with their Salafi interpretation. So, was the Prophet Muhammad an Islamist? The bottom line is, is that my work, the idea of modernists and reformists, will try to maintain some adherence to the core morals and teaching the principles of integrity of the faith of the God of Abraham as we learn that message from the Prophet Muhammad and its finality, but also as it was relayed to Abraham, Moses, Jesus, and other prophets. But you cannot, we cannot get to a point of a solution unless we start to say, what would the Prophet do if he were alive today? And that question ends up rejecting all of what is purported to be debated about in Salafism. Because they don't use that example when talking about medical science or engineering science. But when they talk about political science and legal science, they must they must then only use the 7th century example and say that that's perfect and anything that changes it as according to the Wahhabis use the term bid'ah which is invention. And I would say we must not only abort the Islamist project which is about the political state the Islamic state, the Sharia platform of Islamists but also the Salafi project in which somehow Islam's identity as a religion and as a faith is wedded to exactly what the Prophet did in the 7th century. And, you know, my grandfather, who was a Sharia court judge, my father and others, would always joke around and like, well, if the Prophet took a nap at 2 p.m., should, should we do that for extra credit? It just, you know, you can reduce that to reductio absurdum to any example, and that's not what I believe you cannot reform Islam unless we recognize that, yes, the Prophet was Islamist, but he did not reject secularism, the technology of a liberalism, a classical liberalism that believed in individual freedom did not exist anywhere on the planet for us to say that, well, Islam weighed that and rejected it. There was no America. And even before 1789, there was no one on the planet that had a revolution that had actually brought to bear Locke's wherewithal to recognize independence, to recognize the preeminence of universal human rights and the need for government to step aside to allow 
to get out of the way of individuals praying to God directly. And that our rights are from God and not from government. And as the Islamists believe and was taught in the 7th century, rights came from Islam. And Muhammad's message about Islam, which came from God. But in the 21st century, it's time that Muslims begin to abandon all of that. That we begin not abandon the morals, the teachings, the principles of charity, of intel of honesty, of compassion. of kindness, of loyalty to our countries, of non-judgmentalism. All these things that are American values, I believe, can become Muslim or Islamic values, if not already are for many of us. But globally, they obviously are not. We have a lot of work to do. But this debate, yes, the Prophet was an Islamist in 630 CE. But that might have been the best system at the time, I don't know. But thank God I wasn't born then. Because I reject Islamism. I believe the American system, the Western system that separates mosque or church and state, is far superior, far preferential to me as an independent Muslim that believes in capitalism, freedom, liberty, free speech, that believes in the right to people to enter and leave their faith, to talk about it as they wish, in equal rights for all men, women, races, and all beliefs, diversity of beliefs, not just diversity of race, all these things that are part of the Muslim reform movement, I believe the Prophet would endorse, and this is the debate, is what the Prophet would endorse in 2017. Now, I can never prove that, but it doesn't matter what you can prove, but rather what we can persuade people is the reality. We're losing the debate right now. But we don't even have significant platforms. And that's what this podcast, what our Twitter feeds are about. Get the message out. When the president comes back from his Middle East trip, demand that he represent the voices that are drowned out and destroyed by the Islamist establishment that rarely gets a voice. If he believes in the equal rights of men and women as Ivanka and others have talked about, then he needs to step away from the subservience and the fealty to the establishment of the Gulf states. So I reject the Salafism, the Salafist ideas that are incompatible with American ideology. Now, I pray five times a day. The way I pray might be the way the prophet prayed. That that characteristic, I might have some Salafi aspects to it. So we pick and choose which orthodoxy we keep and which orthodoxy we reject. Salafism is orthodoxy, looking backwards. Orthodoxy looking forwards needs a new name. Haven't come up with it yet. Time will give it a name. At this point, the name is Reform this with Zudi Jasser. God bless. You're listening to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser. The Blaze Radio Network.